Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary Event Crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. Despite the doubters and naysayers, Chris Donnelly stuck to his guns and forged a path in the world of entrepreneurship. In his 20s, he built a multi-million pound luxury creative media agency, working with the likes of Bugatti, Jimmy Choo and Claridge's. Through the threat of losing it all during the pandemic, he managed to restructure and reinvigorate his business, eventually doubling pre-COVID profits as restrictions were finally eased. He then sold his agency Verb for a massive £25 million and launched a new revolutionary business described as the Airbnb of care homes. This is one hell of a story and a great example of hard work, persistence and trusting your gut in business. Here is the eventful life of Mr. Chris Donnelly. Millions of people have told me I was more and for going out and doing my own thing. And I did actually turn down a good job after uni for uh, Barclays Wealth, which paid really well. And friends have told me this years afterwards, you know, they were, they were thinking I was an idiot at the time. They were thinking that you know, he is either arrogant or stupid or, you know, he's completely miscalculated this. And that, in a weird way, gives you fuel. And I reckon there's, there's tens of millions of entrepreneurs out there who are fueled by the early negative comments we gave them. Let's get cracking. Where did you grow up and how did you get into business? Uh, I grew up in like near Kingston. Thought I was going to be a rugby player um, <laughs> and uh, then had like a ceremonious fallout of grace with rugby. And then at sort of 16, 17, was looking for something to, I suppose, what my thing was after rugby fell apart. Yeah. And then um, from 16, 17, I just started... I suppose the right word would be like dabbling in all sorts of things. So like I gave a talk yesterday to 16 year olds at school and the first business I ever did and I was talking to them about it was 16. I started selling printers and scanners. Okay. Um, the sort of things you'd buy in like Maplin. I just started selling them, buying them online and selling them. And that was effectively my entrance into um, business. That's obviously my starting point. And I actually did that from 16 through to like 19, yep. and actually was making reasonable money doing it. But then I suppose at that age, everyone thinks you're a bit nuts mm. that buying and selling printers and scanners and projectors and things isn't a career. Mm. Um, and so, again, like I had that moment where everyone was like, you're a bit crazy, your parents think you're a bit nuts, and uh, your friends think it's the weirdest thing ever that yeah. you would care about doing that. And then suddenly you uh, you think to yourself, well, I should go to uni instead. So okay. I don't want to uni. Okay. So I've been doing it for ages. It's just in different guises. And where were you selling that? As a 16, 17, 18 year old, where were you selling these printers? So I would buy them and then sell them on a website that I had built, or I would sell them in like gadget shops and, uh, you know, like years ago, they used to have sort of unbranded technology shops mm. and they would buy them. So mm. I remember a shop in Kingston bought like 25 printers from me. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. And then what was the point where you said, right, I need to now move to uni? Was that sort of a pressure from your parents to go to uni? Or was that trying to keep your parents happy to say, oh, my son's gone to uni? Or was it genuinely you going, I want to go and party for three years? I think my, my biggest motivation for going to uni was probably to have fun, I suppose. Like, I think 
everyone expects you to, and I, again, I talk about this a lot at the moment, is everyone was just assuming you went that route. Everyone plans for it, preps for it, spends forever talking about it. And so you end up kind of going that way. Um, I was really excited about going to uni. So um, I went with the idea of like having fun, making friends and kind of doing my degree. And I did politics with economics and had a lot of fun doing it. But I mean, I've never used it. A day, a day in my life, you know, to get a student debt and all the rest of it, but I never. That's it. That's interesting. I think there's like eighty odd percent of people who do a degree in something never use it ever again. Yeah, it's a bit wild, isn't it's it? Crazy, isn't it? What I, uni were you at? I went to Warwick. Okay. Um, so everyone from Warwick. Again, I had that moment later on in Warwick where I started another business where everyone became an accountant, a lawyer, a, a investment banker, like all the professional services jobs. And at the time, I was just started building um, websites and I was building websites for like local businesses for £500, £1,000, sort of dabbling, you know, um, not really as a business, but more kind of to make money to have a slightly better student life, I yes. suppose. And then when it came to applications for jobs, I remember just having that moment where I was like, do I want to go on a grad scheme for you know, 25k when I'm making close to 25k now part time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was again another moment where, like, when I, when I told my friend at university and I told my parents that I was actually going to start a website agency, they were like, "What the fuck yeah. do you know about websites?" That's <laughs> what <laughs> I, like, I don't know, but I'm I'm working sure, it. Out. Yeah, I'm sure I can learn it. Um, so yeah, that was that was a, a weird moment at uni, um, and people think you're mad for years until you're successful, and then everyone's like, "Oh." Was always going to always going to make it. They do, don't they? And, the, and those people are always the ones who go, oh, I remember when I first met him. Yeah, yeah. They didn't say that when yeah, I met them. Of course. <laughs> I couldn't say that. So what year are we talking here? Where, when you were at Warwick, what year was this? So I left uni in 2013. So uh, it would have been that last year. So 2013 I started. Okay. Uh, Verb. Okay. Um, so do you, did you come up with the idea of designing websites in your first year, second year, third year? So first year, I just had fun, I yeah. think. Uh, I worked for like Red Bull and um, I worked as the, the night library night um, manager. <laughs> I, I've, all, I've always had, had uh, like an odd sleeping pattern, I suppose. Yeah. And so it just sort of fitted. That... Not surprised with Red Bull. Five cans of Red Bull down your Probably why I had an odd sleeping pattern. Um, but yeah, so I did that first year, had a lot of fun. Second year... I started a business with my older brother, which we launched, um, raised money for, scaled a bit. It's a good idea, but we failed, I think, because of a lack of experience. So you raised money for a business in your second year. How yeah. much did you raise? £25,000. Oh, wow, fair play. Yeah. And what was that for? That was for a uh, platform to help s- students go to university. Um, so it was like a search engine to help people find universities and you know, not have to travel the country, go to them or go abroad to look at them. You do it all virtually to okay. save money. So it's a good idea. And I think... How could you monetize that? <laughs> That's a good That's point. What... <laughs> <laughs> we never worked that <laughs> out. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, and, and funnily enough, I, you, you got to a point where when people started asking that, we were doing it as a passion project, yeah. I think, and it kind of got going, it got loads of views and attention, whatever, but... Yeah, I mean, when it came down to how do you monetize it, the thing we'd never worked out was that universities are public. They, do, they won't pay, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so <laughs> it kind of crashed and burned after that. Who did you convince to give you 25 grand? Uh, well, I, I used to email people on uh, 
investor forum. Okay. And so like there were three or four people who just thought it was a really good idea. I actually know them now. Um, you paid them back. I, I paid them about half then. Have you? Yeah, I paid them about half then. Um, but but no, uh, I didn't pay about the rest. <laughs> um, and but they, I mean, if you were to ask them, they were like, it was a great idea, and you know, obviously they were tax write offs and yeah, stuff. Of so of course, and they're backing someone who's who's a young entrepreneur yeah. with the right attitude. Yeah. But all of this stuff that you're learning at uni has come into play in your later life. Tell me about your finishing uni, you're finishing your politics in your third year. What was the point where you were finishing that degree saying, I don't want to go and work for someone? I think I think I might have already been there in without fully knowing it. I think I might have already been of the mindset that I was going to work for myself. Yeah. Um, everyone started getting their grad schemes and stuff and I, and I wasn't excited about it at all and anyone's gone through that process it's like weeks and weeks of applying for jobs and ages preparing yourself and doing all these tests and stuff and I was so I'm dyslexic terrible at maths and that world just I I don't work very well in it I kind of knew at that age already my dad's an entrepreneur Mm. and he I would say the best thing he never missed one rugby game my brothers and I ever played and was an entrepreneur so I always thought that was the coolest thing he had freedom because he had freedom yeah so I think by that age, by 21, I kind of knew. Yeah. Um, and then the website thing was part-time and fun, and I was doing social media pages and websites. So I was interested in digital, yeah, for sure interested in digital. And then I landed some big websites in the summer of 20, 2013. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit. So that was so basically you were knocking up websites for roughly how much <laughs> at the time? Uh, my first one I did was £440 yeah. and that took me three months yeah. and then by the time I was at the end of university they were like £1,000, £2,000 for yeah. a website or £1,000 a month for social media or whatever yeah. and then we landed a big brand at the end of university and they paid something like £70,000 for a website they paid you seventy grand. yeah is that right yeah. what was the brand uh, it was a big yacht brand called Sunseeker Okay, is that right? Yeah. <laughs> down here in Paul. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, they, they were a client for years afterwards. Wonderful. Years and years afterwards. Good yeah. for you. So tell me about that process, how you would go and land a client. Were you uh, pretending to be a lot bigger than you were at the time? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the smoke and mirrors of it, yeah. I suppose. We, at the time, our business was, we would work with everyone and anyone. So we would work with... Uh, local shops with restaurants with with anyone basically yeah. who would pay yeah. and then suddenly I remember talking to a friend and that friend being and saying I think that luxury brands are so underserved when it comes to digital marketing and they were yeah. way more than I ever sort of calculated but essentially you've got these brands who spend the most money on producing their product but spend nothing on marketing yeah. or digital marketing anyway and so I told my friend this and he thought we were that so he thought we were already that luxury agency, really. And he made an introduction to Sunseeker, basically. Wonderful. And what was your what was your pitch for 70 grand? Not just a website. Surely they must have said, we'll take over your social media, we'll it, take it, over your marketing. What did it look like? Yeah, it was kind of everything. I mean, we... Um, yeah, I mean, it was a big brand, so actually the website was expensive. But it was branding, communications, marketing, social media. And the pitch was effectively... We did everything before the pitch. So we did all the work. So they were just sort of blown away by the fact that we'd wow. done, you know, 60% of the work Love already. It. It. And that was the only reason they went with us, is that we clearly wanted it the most. Yeah. Um, and they set the price. Yeah. 
And we were just blown away by that. Were you happy with each other's eyes? We were scared, I bet. <laughs> well, you had to actually perform. Yeah, yeah we were paying absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, ironically, we knew we could do a great job because yeah. we knew how to design and build websites and so forth. We knew how it worked. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, we were all a bit petrified at the time. And who was your partner at the time? So at the time, I had people from computer science department at um, Warwick working for me. I had freelance work for me. And then I had a guy called Warren Moore, who was um, a friend at the time who later became a partner at Verb. Okay. Um, and he was a math student at Warwick University. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And then when did it grow from there then? You finished university, you got this wonderful contract on 70 grand. Yeah. Where did, where did the brand Verb come from? So the brand Verb actually was a, uh, it came from a group of us. We had a designer that we used to work with who actually came up with the, the concept of the name. Yeah. The concept of the brand was we were going to be exclusively uh, luxury. We were going to exclusively work for luxury brands and do digital marketing for them. Um, and it sort of was born out of that. And then when we left university, I got a tiny office on uh, Brick Lane. Mm-hmm. I remember that cost about £400 a month. As you, your first offices are always risky, aren't they? Oh, I'm feeling I'm so panicked. Yeah, I remember. Like, are we going to make £400 a month? That's right. Um, Just to pay that before we pay our staff. Exactly. Yeah. And also, you're not paying yourself anything really at the time. And you're kind of trading off your future excitement, I suppose. Mm. Um, but we got that office on Brick Lane and we just had so much fun. Yeah. For the By that point, it was just me and Warren. Um, everyone else who'd been freelancing or, or working with us had been left or had gone to uni or had moved abroad. And so it was just the two of us. He was still at uni yeah. uh, for his master's. Yeah. So I was working on my own on Brick Lane. Um, and I just had so much fun that year. Yeah. Just, you know, my girlfriend and I moved to to Bow in East London yeah. and we just had a lot of fun the first few years in, in London. And kind of alongside that, we built a five, six person team working with, effectively working with luxury brands and startup premium brands, I suppose. Okay. Um, and the cleverest thing we ever did was we went out to loads of celebrities and said, we'll build you free websites if you shout us out on your social media. Okay. And so like uh, Made in Chelsea, we did like all the Made in Chelsea style websites, yeah. bizarrely. Um, and then they all gave us a shout out on their social media and brands saw that and just the phone started ringing. Right. Um, I remember initiative. we didn't have a phone. Mm. And so we then plugged in the phone and put the number on our website and it started ringing the next yeah. day. It was wild. Yeah. And then, yeah, it went from... Yeah. So what year are we talking? 2014 here in Britain? 20, yeah, 20... End of 2014, things like clips started to come into place. Yeah. Started to happen here. So by like 2016, there was 30 of us. Um, you grew that quickly. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. So how does the business model work? You're employing, you, you're getting contracts with luxury brands. Yep. You're fronting that, I would imagine. Yep. Yep. And then you're bringing more people on board to manage these accounts, as well as design, as well as everything that goes with it. Yeah. So we, we had a slightly different um, take on things and that we should we should be rewarded based on success. So we charged fees for our work, but we also gave the the client would pay us more if we did better. Okay. And that worked really well because if we sold more or you know, more drove more leads or more attention or higher targets, then we would get paid more. Um, and so from about 2016 onwards, we had cracked being a website and digital marketing agency. Yeah. And we would we started to be known as the place to go for luxury brands. And then you know, we then from that moment onwards never did outbound sales ever. Yeah. Um, everyone came to us, you know, the phone would ring and it would be like Bugatti. Mm. And they'd be like, we need you to come to, 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 to meet us in Molsheim. And, um, you know, and it wasn't to pitch. It yeah. was, 
come and work for us. Yeah. Um, and then you know that happened with like loads of the car, car brands and. You know, give me some example. So give me some example of the early days brands that you were working with, and give me some examples of the journey of some of the brands that have come on board over the years. In those earlier years. So I think I think one that we we got a lot of our acclaim from in the early days mm. was someone like uh, Larson and Jennings watches. So those watches was was a you know tiny business, two guys in a room in Fulham, and then they worked with Verb. It was me, a guy called Ali and Warren, and a few others at the time, and we worked with them from them being tiny business selling a couple of grand a month or you know ten grand a month through to they became a global watch brand with multiple sites in New York and London and, and whatever, and so. We got a lot of, I mean, obviously a lot of the success was, was most of the success was theirs as a brand, mm. but we got a lot of the sort of acclaim for their fast growth. Mm. And so by the time they took all their marketing in-house, they were huge and yeah. people had associated us with that growth. And it was those kind of stories along with us doing great work for big brands that just catapulted them, basically. Because yeah. we never raised money. Yeah. Good so for you. that was a, we, we raised money in 20. 19 to buy out Warren yeah. um, and that was it other than that it's just I put 400 pounds in in 2013 mm. and the business was and you sold last year wonderful yeah before we get to that I want to go back to that first deal I'm really intrigued in that watch deal with the two lads in Fulham mm. how did you charge them oh god we charged them nothing <laughs> yeah just to have them on board <laughs> they, they, they had a really cool product at the time yeah. it, was, it was super on on like on trend, basically. Uh, and then that trend of watches exploded. It's like a Daniel Wellington type yes. watch. Um, so essentially, they probably paid us a couple grand a month. Yeah. Tops. And we did everything for them. We did their website, their marketing, their social media. We would like produce their assets. We did loads of branding work. We did packaging work, everything, anything. Um, but it was worth it. You know, they, they did really well and they were great at introducing us to people and they were great at you know, singing our praises and all the rest of it. So it was it was worth it. And I think if I was to look back, I think one of our mistakes in the early days was trying, it was hard because we weren't funded, but we, we tried to charge high fees quite early. Yeah. Not high fees, but reasonable fees, you know, enough to pay our sort of salaries. Um, but because we weren't funded, we kind of needed to do that. Um, but there were projects we could have taken on in the early days for less money that would have got more a claim, I suppose. Mm. I like I like how you've got in there and said, like, we want you on our portfolio. Mm. We will do everything we can from everything you mentioned, from the packaging, the branding, the website. We'll do everything for you. Yeah. You then can take that and put it in your portfolio. And how much how much uh, nicer and easier is it to approach other brands and say, this is what we've done for them? Absolutely. I mean, it it was a it was a cornerstone. I mean, the Sunseeker case study, the Last and Jones case study, and then we did a few of these celebrity websites. The combination of that made us look like an epic agency. Yeah. And there was still, <laughs> but was that sort of phrase, like uh, swan above water? Yeah. Like we, on the outside, we looked pristine. Mm. On the inside, we were working till 1am every night yeah. in the office on Brick Lane. Did you enjoy it? I think, I mean, at 22, 23, you have like boundless energy, mm. like, absolute boundless energy. And I was having the time of my life. Mm. Um, we were going out a lot, but you could you could you could wear a hangover the next day very easily. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we worked all day. We would go out three or four nights a week. I then I'd go out with my university university friends the weekend. We all just got to London. Um, so yeah, I was loving it at the time actually. Um, I mean, it was hard and it was tiring, but there wasn't. That was probably too early for, for anything to creep in about being like, 
unsettled by the, the work. So at that age, yeah, I was over the moon. And how much fun is it building your, your own brand? Yeah, I mean, it's the best. Quite literally the best. It I is. mean, I, I, especially at that time where, like, it's kind of, it was kind of all or nothing, you know, like, millions of people had told me I was a moron for going out and doing my own thing. And I did actually turn down a good job after uni for uh, Barclays Wealth, which paid really well. Uh, and I turned that down and everyone around me knew because everyone shared the stories about what jobs they'd got. So everyone knew I'd done that. And I think a lot of people, and friends have told me this years afterwards, you know, they were they were thinking I was an idiot at the time. They were thinking, you know, he is either arrogant or stupid or, you know, he's completely miscalculated this. And that, in a weird way, gives you fuel. You know, Absolutely. that fuels your fire. And, and I reckon there's, a, there's you know, tens of millions of entrepreneurs out there who are fueled by the early negative comments people gave to them years later. That chip on the shoulder sticks. And how many people are unhappy in corporate jobs? <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's wild. It's wild. It yeah. really is. It scares me. And it scares me to hear like 23-year-olds going into corporate jobs and they're now 15 years on, they're stuck. You know? Yeah, that's where all your, all your dreams go to die. Mm. you know that sort of creativity that freedom and, and what have you creating your own brand or your own business or having you know autonomy and whatever you want to do every day yeah I mean I, I I think there's always you know different situations suit different people and I think a lot of my friends would never be entrepreneurs and would never want to be right mm. and they have jobs that sort of suit them but there are there's a huge huge wealth of people who now I'm so I'm 31 now um and a lot of my friends are the same age, and a lot of them are starting to be like, oh, I would like to work for myself. Yeah. And it's quite nice because even the people who gave me shit at 21 are now coming to me being like, can I have a job? Would you, well, more like, more like, what do you reckon? Like, is yeah. this a good idea? Have you thought about this? And I can actually give them good counsel because I've been doing it for, I've been working for myself now for 15, 16 years. Yeah. Um, and so I'm now confident enough to say that I think I made the right call. Mm. Um, and I can help other people with, you know, the early the early days, basically. That's where the fun is. Mm. Like people leaving and taking a risk and going, you know what, I'm going to start a side hustle and then I want to turn that into my business. That's where the fun is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been the most fun uh, in, in my life. I mean, I, I'm not one of those people that, you know, you listen to this stuff all the time at the moment, which people are saying continuously, like, you know, leave your friends if they're not, you know, backing you and all this sort of stuff. But whereas for me, like, I, I'm a huge believer in the fact that, like, I love my friends. Mm. They never really backed me, but I think we were all too young to fully grasp what was mm. going on. And they were under societal pressure as well. So, like, I don't want to dump my friends because they weren't 100% supportive. Like, I, I don't think you have to take it all so literally. But, but yeah, for me, it was the most fun. Mm. And then so moving on from there, then, sort of 2015, 2016, what was the year you were like? Oh my God, we've hit jackpot. Do you um, remember that? Was it was yeah. it a lead up? Was it what, what brands have you worked with from that 2016 onwards? Where you everything, all the boxes were being ticked. Well, the the one of the craziest things that happened quite early on, which is actually nuts thinking about now, is in 2017 we came across another business or agency called DVD Media. There was 15, 20 of them. They've been around for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Run by a guy called Nigel, nice guy. He's a bit older and he was a bit tired, but wanted to retire. And how old was he, roughly? 55. Okay. And uh, he alluded to the fact that he wanted to sell the business and we offered to buy it yeah. with no backing and anything. So we went and borrowed money 
bought his business. And it took about three or six months to actually sort of get the thing done. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, we overnight were a business that was making sort of two and a half, three million quid. And wow. um, net profit? Uh, no, um, turnover. Okay. Um, so Where were you before you bought him out? I don't know. Roughly. A million and a half. Okay. Um, so you pretty much doubled. Doubled overnight. Okay. And in people, you yep. doubled as well. So one of the moments, the, the moment, as it were, for me was like walking into this office that wasn't my office the day before. And that wasn't my team the day before. And I was like 27, being like, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Chris Donnelly. I'm your new CEO. And so many of them were older than me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is so bizarre. <laughs> And I was like, I'm really sorry that this is so like abrupt, but yeah. I really hope that you know working for Verb is going to be great for you. Yeah. And I know I think we made a couple of mistakes over the years, but I would say you know Verb has always been one of those places that people have actually always really liked. Yeah. And a lot of people say that, but and I'm the first to call people out for like you know showing off about their culture when it's actually shared. Yeah. Like Verb's glass door and everything historically has yeah. been amazing you know people have always been you, really complimentary about yeah. working for verb yeah. but that that was a hard period because we went from sort of 20 people to 40 people like overnight doubled the size of the company had loads of clients we didn't know and that was an aggressive period of time where i, I almost can't remember mm. whole periods of that time because we were probably working in overdrive for yeah. a year yeah. just to make it all work and then it was the year after things just went click. And, and right up until COVID, we just, we just flew as business. How much did you buy that business for? Um, maybe a million pounds. Okay, so you borrowed a million pounds rather than getting investors on board. Yeah, so we, we borrowed maybe half the money. We had a bunch of money in the business. Um, and then we did some deferred considerations that he was paid over a period of time. But it was, good, it was sort of good planning. And suddenly our business was bigger, worth more, and going and going in a better direction yeah. strategically as well. Um, so that was a wild moment. Um, I think winning Bugatti the year afterwards was absolutely wild. Um, you know, we've won a lot of amazing businesses in our time, like super famous businesses that everyone knows um, and have kept them for years and years. But winning Bugatti was bizarre because there's nothing like Bugatti. Mm. You know, it's the only brand like it, you know, and... You would fly out and I would be sitting next to the CEO and he'd be like, what do you think about this, Chris? What do you think about that? How do we do this? What should we post? And their followers and their brand grew under our management yeah. and they hadn't really been growing, but grew under our management, like four or five million followers that year. Wow. It was absolutely insane. And uh, and yeah, up, right up until COVID, Verb was kind of the most beautiful business ever. Like it was growing People loved it. You know, the, the culture was amazing. People would always be like, you you spend the money and the effort and the time actually doing the stuff that people always say that they do. Yeah. COVID hit and luxury took this unbelievable beating, basically, where we lost half our clients, which ended up being like 300 grand a month. Um, and we had to furlough 35 people wow. on that Monday that they introduced furlough. And had we not done that, and I do talk about it, you know, had we not done that, the business was going to have to make it redundant because yeah. as much as you'd never want to, the business wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been able to exist yeah. beyond that. So the furlough thing came in and kind of saved saved the day, really, for the business. Um, and we kind of then went into this period where we had to really, really get down to basics and say, you know, we've lost half our clients, half our staff from furlough, um, 
we are losing money still month to month, but we've got about six months where we can lose money like this to turn ourselves around. Um, so we were like cutting costs, everything, like everyone, everyone in the business cut on salary. Um, it was just an aggressive period because every day you'd have a client calling you saying, can we spend less? Can we leave you? We've gone bankrupt. We've gone into administration. And it, I mean, I've never really been one to ever talk about, you know, the mental stress that you go through as an individual, but I felt it then more than ever that I was the backstop. Like beyond me, there was no one else. And so that was, that was an incredibly rough, um, period of time, like all day, every day, talking to team members and clients, trying to reassure everyone that if we stuck together, we would get through it. And you come off the end of those days, and it's like, it's like 12 at night, and you're just like, yeah. busted. And the next day, you know you're getting up, yeah. and you've got to go fight to keep your clients in contract. Yeah. Um, that was that was a period that um, I, I actually would say was quite defining, because before that, Verb was, like I say, like beautiful, like we built it from scratch, We'd never, you know, we owned like 90% of it because we'd raised money to buy out Warren. Yeah. Um, it was like the most beautiful business ever. But we were kind of coasting a bit at that point in our lives. Like we were happy that things were great. COVID hit, demolished the business. Um, and then your back's up against the wall and you just choose at that moment. Like, am I going to come out fighting from this or am I going to effectively shut down the business? And our viewpoint, you know, Ben, my business partner and I are competitive people and we weren't going to go down without like a proper, proper fight. And we did. We we worked every minute, every hour of every day. And by the time we were coming out of COVID, we were suddenly like, wow, it feels good to be recovering. Yeah. But this actually feels like more than a recovery. This feels like, like we've evolved verb somehow. Like every process had been rewritten, every piece of marketing redone, client results were up, you know, in a time where they couldn't have been up. Mm. And the business just shot out of COVID. And it's, basically doubled since COVID, which is wild. Like there's, you know, there's about 100 people globally who work for Verb now, um, and the business is doing the best that it ever did. And then in... So you say 100 people working globally. Have you got offices in different parts of, offices in different parts of the world? So pre-COVID, I worked in New York. We had an office in, in New York. We're doing a lot of work in America. We had an office in, uh, in Shanghai. Uh, we had uh, someone working in LA for us, and then we had people in Manchester. So, you know, it was starting to really go. COVID shut it a lot of it down, had to get rid of a lot of stuff. And then after COVID, things just... Mm. Had, had just just, just roll back a bit there, that Bugatti deal. Mm. How would that deal look... What would that deal look like? <laughs> um, how much would they... How much would you charge them? Would it be a yearly contract? If you, if they... Were they signed up to a rolling contract? Did they leave at any point? Uh, they would have like a notice period, yeah. So if you're doing something that big, and we were doing all of their sort of digital and social communications for them. Just break down that digital and social communications you're doing for them? So anything from how Bugatti speaks online, so what language is used, how to transition like a traditionally offline business to being able to speak in an online world. One of the briefs for them, really. Um, then it was social channels, so uh, at the time predominantly Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, and then we were trying to push people on at the time to explore new channels. And obviously new channels now, when you see TikTok, it feels really... Oh, but even then we were like, there's new emerging video platforms coming out. So that was what we were doing. And that, that would have been big. That would have been, you know, 40 or 50 grand a month to 30, 40 grand a month to do that piece. And then one off piece along the way. Um, So they're good three, four hundred grand deals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you work for the bigger brands, Mm. when, you know, the, the brand is faced with the opportunity of, I have to build this team in house myself, or I go and work with a team of specialists. 
in luxury, there was basically no one else other than Verve. Is that right? I mean, we 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 ended up in a position where we would we would make every single um, pitch list. You know, we would be invited to every pitch, and we would never contact them. Um, and it's because positioning, I think, is the key, which people always sort of take out a little bit from marketing, is that you see all this marketing every single day, but if you're going to build a company, it has to stand for something. Yeah. And we stood for being the best in luxury. Um, and at the end, you know, we, we were we were being yeah, put on every single list. Um, and so people like Bugatti left during COVID because it was just a horrendous what time. What was that conversation like with Bugatti? Well, when they left. Yeah. Well, how did you feel? Did they call you? Yeah, yeah, I get the call, yeah. Tell me, tell me what was said. I would say it was between um, maybe two or three of our other bigger clients that day, same day, same morning, yeah. sitting at my desk. Um, and like my, I'd never worked from home. I was never a work from home sort of person. Um, and so like on my, I was in the, in the attic, I'd turned into like a little thing, little office. And I had like my PlayStation on my left, <laughs> like my laptop here, you know, the, the roof slant. I was like, you know. And uh, the, in the morning, we'd lost uh, this big relocation business, which is like 40 grand a month. Um, then we lost... What was that business called? Uh, Santa Fe. Okay. They were, they were a good client for years and years, um, and it just sort of fell apart. Their business actually fell apart, mm. um, as opposed to them leaving us. Um, we lost two or three other clients that day, and then I got the Bugatti call at like 11.30, 12 p.m., maybe. Yeah, 11.30 a.m., um, and they called and I was like, oh, they don't, they don't normally call me. They call the account manager. I was like, oh, God, here we go. And they were like, um, you know what the call's about. <laughs> I was like, Because oh, in my head. Put me out my misery quickly. In, in, in my head, I, I had started to think about it in terms of heads. Yes. Like how many people this is, how many salaries does this contract pay for? Yeah. Um, and at that time, how many did you have? 40? Uh, 50. 50. Yeah. And in your head, you're thinking, how many members of staff? Well, that, that day I'd already sort of planned that I had to do something about 10 people. Wow. Um, and then you're face down the Bugatti one, which is obviously, and Bugatti was worse because Bugatti was like, was meant to grow a lot that year. Yeah. So it was like you'd factored in hires that you were making yeah. based on the, you know. So they, yeah, they were just like, you know, we can't, you know, the business is. Is, is struggling, we've had to shut down factories and stuff. And it's like, I totally get that. And they were asking to end the contract. Um, Completely end? Yeah, as in a lot of brands tried to not serve notice periods at that time. Yeah. And I, I said to everyone, let's pause. You know, I don't, I'm not going to hold you to it now. I won't charge you anything for now. Like, let's come out of this together. Mm. And I would say the majority of our clients did. Um, and we came out the other side and they're still with us because they know that, you know, ultimately we kind of shared in the risk with them at the yeah. time. Um, but yeah, that was that was hardest period in business for sure. I'm sure. I doubt I'll come close. To that I don't again. think you'll ever come close to that again. <laughs> Definitely not. And if you can get through like you've done, and now you're blossoming, yeah. Wow! If you can get through that, you can get through everything. But it certainly resets your sort of internal fight mm-hmm. and your internal sort of what's important thing. Mental um, strength. I think. I think I probably did snap in that period of time, and I've, I've only really ever spoken about this to like my business partner and a few other people personally, but. I think something inside me snapped where, like, I, I don't know. I think for the first time ever in my life, I experienced, like, quite painful anxiety. Okay. I've never experienced that before as a yeah. person through all problems and challenges ever. But that period, I needed, I, I, I felt I needed time off after that. Mm-hmm. But I knew there was no time off coming, mm-hmm. you know. And you can't leave a business that you own in a time like that because that's, like, letting everyone down. What do you mean you nearly snapped? 
I don't know. As in, what's that feeling? Well, it, you're so trapped because you're. Um, if you have a job, you can leave a job and you can apply for another job. Yeah. If you run a company and you own a company, and I'm not, I'm certainly not saying you know give sympathy, but if you, in that moment where you're losing all of your clients, you're the one who then has to go out to the company and communicate that you're unfortunately unable to pay for salaries and people have to be either made redundant or go on furlough as we did. So, but I was like, I, I don't know if I, I can't do this anymore. You know, I'm so emotionally beat. You're not sleeping. You're sleeping you know, two or three hours a night. Um, you know, you get more into drinking at that period because yeah. it takes your mind off. Yeah. And that's what people never, people sort of call out people who drink a lot. But drinking actually often is quite a useful thing to take your mind off stuff, yeah. you know. Um, and so, that, yes, so snapping, I mean, like, I was just unhealthiest, most unhappy I think I've ever been yeah. during that window of time. Yeah. Um, and I think... It was probably the only time since maybe 21 that I questioned being an entrepreneur. Right. Which for me is like part of my DNA. It's my DNA. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is me. You, know? like, you really can't pull them apart. Yeah. And at that moment, I was like, oh, like, fuck this. Yeah. Like, I'm going to get a job. Did you feel there wasn't a way out? For sure. Yeah, okay. The luxury brands are now saying, so we don't want to carry on the contract. You're looking at your headcount going, that 50 is going to have to come down to 20. Thank God for furlough. Yeah. You probably, I'd imagine you've got a lot of people on furlough. Like half the business. Yeah. More than half the business. Yeah. How many people did you have to make redundant? I think we had to make five people redundant. Okay. Um, and how was that for you personally? That was savage. Mm. And it obviously was savage for them. And I would say it was a worse day for them than it mm. was for me. Mm. But I did all the calls myself because I was... I, I face to face or on the, on the phone? Well, some of them were abroad. Okay. Um, Zoom? So some was face to face, some was abroad. Mm. Uh, someone's on Zoom, um, and I, I I have a belief that like if you're going to be in charge, that you should be the one that does that. Yeah. Um, so me and Ben, who are the two owners, we decided we would do it. And you know, people say that you're you know you get called a lot. You know, you're evil. You're you know you've got so much money and all this sort of stuff. And it's like the reality is like we didn't, and we were going to go out of business. So if furlough hadn't happened, we would have had to make more redundancies, yeah. like many businesses at the yeah. time. You know. Um, that was horrible. You know, people people attacked us for a long time afterwards about that. And I think... Who attacked you? The, the people that you made redundant or... The people we made redundant, but also people in the business who weren't being made redundant okay. were furious that we'd, we'd done it. Well, you were furious that you made the five people redundant? Yeah. yeah. And what was, the, what was the mind process of making those five redundant rather than keeping them on further? Further hadn't, didn't exist yet. Oh, so you did it before? Oh, okay. Because we had... Okay. So we had business in... So we had Verb uh, UK, Verb American, Verb... China, yeah. China business was destroyed first, yes, and then uh, and then UK and America started feeling it at the same time, confidence wise. You know, upsells stopped going, growth of accounts stopped growing. Um, you know, business was grinding to a halt, and then suddenly lockdown hit, and like we worked in hospitality, so we did loads of hotels. Immediately, that stuff's gone. It's gone, isn't it? Um, and so there's no money coming in to pay salaries. So, like I say, it had finally not happened. I mean, you know, Verb would have been making 25, 30 redundancies as opposed to furloughs. That would have been 30 very difficult phone calls. And like, they're the best people. Mm. You know, so like, then you'd have to, if you if you were then to try and recover the business, you'd have to go find, find them again. And finding the best people is the hardest thing yeah. in any business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a horrible point in time. Um, and weirdly, I think, I think it all plays into it. I think COVID has defined my business life because 
Verb recovers, mm. verb takes off, verb goes absolutely crazy afterwards. And it still is, you know, every single day. I'm always like, this is crazy that it's going this far. So in 2020, when we all found out about the pandemic, mm. you had to make these big decisions. Yeah. You got through 2020 with a lot of stress and pressure. 2021, we were thinking, oh, we're going to come back. Everything's going to be back in, back normal again. And it yeah. wasn't. You kept hold of everyone. Have you blossomed since coming out of COVID and the pandemic in sort of the end of 21, 22, start of 22? Yeah. I mean, the business has quite literally doubled in that year. Doubled compared to what it was when it lost everything or doubled prior to losing everything? Compared to what it was before. Is that right? Yeah. Absolutely mind-blowing. And I think it came from like, you're back against the wall, you you redefine everything in the business. Anything that's lazy, any cost that's over the top, you know, you go to clients and you say, you know, I understand the risk right now, but pay us on performance only. But pay us more if we're successful. And we killed it on results. I love that. We absolutely smashed it on results. Like Ben and I would work every night on new marketing materials. Like um, marketing team would like blitz through the night making white papers on how to, you know, manage your marketing during COVID. Like we just fought every, like tooth and nail really yeah. to come out of that. And then 2021 was just mind blowing year. Like we just became, you know, we we just did the best we've ever done basically. And then during that year, because of the success. I got three private equity companies coming in saying, can we buy the business? You know, can, can we give you 10 million pounds to go buy other agencies? Can we, you know, fund Verb to become a global platform? And, and I sort of come back to that thing about this slight snapping point in me. And I was sort of like, I don't know if I want to do this for 10 more years. Yeah. Um, like I want to be, I love Verb and I'll be CEO for Verb for a while longer, yeah. but do I want to do this for 10 more years? The answer was no. Mm. And so then Crowd came along, who my friend Luke is the CEO of Crowd, and they're a big agency. Um, and they offered the same terms, but that we would effectively stay on. We could work. I could run my new business. I could, you know, have a bit more freedom and get a, a similar deal to what I'd been offered by the private equity guys, but I didn't have to stay for 10 years. <laughs> so... In the end, that's how the decision was made. Um, and we officially closed the deal at the end of last year um, and sold sold Verb at the end of last year. Good for you. Yeah. What a nice story. So when so crowd come in. Yeah. And what month and what year did they come and buy you? I mean, they bought us um, uh, Q, Q4 21. 21. And how much did they buy you for? So it's based on how well we do over the next two years, but it'll be anything from 25 to 35 billion. Yes, mate. <laughs> okay, I fight for that. Yeah. Good for you. And I think I think the thing is, you hear that number is such a it's obviously such a big number, and versus what, and, and shareholders in that business, uh, was, you and your partner fifty fifty, or you had ninety percent. My um, business partner Ben, and then the people who gave us the money to buy out Warren earlier in time. Okay, um, we were the only shareholders, but we we made a decision at the end to say. We will put a big portion of our earn out in so that every single person at Verb gets a buyout. Yeah. So in uh, in two years' time, every single person at Verb, junior all the way through to senior, will get a significantly meaningful amount of money, which will change their lives basically. Out of that twenty five now, or that can that twenty five grow in a couple of years? It could, yeah. um, but it will be out of that. Yeah, out of that. Yeah. So 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 Ben and I walk away with a lot less than that headline figure. Yeah, but but the, you're looking after everyone. Well, 
exactly. So the people who stayed with us for four or five years, six years, yeah. you know, who went through, the, who took salary sacrifice during COVID. Yeah. The idea was let's make everyone stick share with us in the success, and we'll all reward. Yeah, good for you. Love it. Um, and that I think that combined with our approach generally to the business, agency is quite a commoditized thing. Mm. Millions of them. Mm. I think that the fact that we were a cool agency doing cool things and we looked after our people was quite unique. Mm. Like, most of the agencies you read about, although they talk about their culture non-stop, if you read their glass door, it's like, the employees are like, it's the worst place ever to yeah. work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they talk about how great they are with mental health all day long, but then there's no appreciation internally mm. in the business. Mm. So that, we never wanted to be those types of hypocrites. Do you know what I loved about what you said? It rolled back five or 10 minutes ago. as that you like to be paid on results. Mm. That's powerful. That's yeah. confident. Yeah, yeah. Give me an example of what sort of results you were hitting for brands to make them go, oh my God, Verba outstanding and we're going to stick with them for a long time. So you're, you're talking numbers, views, likes, all this, yeah. everything online. Give me an example. I mean, a very recent one, uh, which is really cool, was we did uh, a piece of work with flannels. Um, and what, the clothing brand? The clothing the yeah. department, store department, type, yeah, yeah. store brands. Um, and it was about taking them onto TikTok and doing it really well. But because we were asking for ultimately a big scope of work to take them onto TikTok, which still at the time felt a bit new, I just said to them, look, instead of paying us for the time, pay us based on the results. And we drove 3.5 billion views in December. <laughs> Please tell me to pound a man. <laughs> <laughs> and it was wild. Like we, we built their, their TikTok channel from scratch, basically. Like they had a small one before. They gained huge followers, 3.5 billion views. And, you know, I did the wrap-up report uh, like two weeks ago or something, three weeks ago or something, and they were over the moon. And obviously, they didn't want to work with us more and all the rest of it. But that's the sort of thing. It's like, if 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 you are building a business, like, just don't be cheap. Think to yourself, I will I will do better from the client if, if we do better. And then I will reward my team better if we do better. Yeah. So my team will get bonuses based on performance. Yeah. And the whole cycle, Same. that all was created yeah. during COVID. Before that, I just, I think we were a good business, not a great one. Mm. I think after COVID, we were a great business. Because you stuck by them, by your staff, and they stuck by you. Yeah. Powerful. So what? how would you monetize 3.5 billion views? <laughs> how would you, mon- did you have that something in the contracts? And if we hit these certain numbers, that will trigger a certain amount of money, or is it just done on a handshake? No, no, I mean, it's, it, our contracts with clients are like that. It'll be like, you pay us this base fee, which yeah. is like often covering costs or just above. Yeah. And then it will be to hit this additional bonus fee per month. We have to hit these numbers, or some clients will be these sales, or okay. you know. So yeah, so we're trying to we're trying to make the agency much more about that moving forward because it's worked for us. I mean, some you have to be clever about the clients you work with. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't you can't shovel shit. Yeah. You know, ultimately, like you you have to have a good product and a good brand and the rest of it. And like Fanals really did. They had mm-hmm. sick content, and we were able to take that work with loads of creators and make awesome content. Um, and so, yeah, you, you've got to be structured because, you know, it's a big business, I suppose. Mm. And what's your role within the business? Were you the front man? Were you the front man going to all the meetings with the big brands? Was that your kind of role? Or were you the, uh, you loved the creative side and you knew that you'd build a team around you of wonderful creatives that you could guide and give them the freedom to just roll with it? It changed over the years. I mean, I was, uh, I was a creative to begin with. Mm. Um, less like hands-on, more I know what the brand wants, this is what they should be creating, and then we went and created it. 
Um, as the years went on, I would focus on the new products. So what the, what the agency should be moving towards technologically um, and like trend wise. Um, so I was banging on about TikTok before it was a thing. I was like, this is the new medium for tech for, for brands. Um, what did you, how did you know that? What year was this? Because TikTok really now is, I know it's been around for a few years and it's really taken off for the, the general public now. You obviously identified that in what year? Uh, when it was musically, mm. before it was TikTok. So, yeah. I don't know, 219? That's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, my, my viewpoint was that I, I, I don't know, I've been using social media for so long and working on it and, and, and working on it personally, but also for brands. So I just had a sense of, you can tell Facebook was dying. Everyone could tell it, but I mean, I could tell you that five years ago, you know. So I don't know. You just get a sense of it as as time goes on, and then there's always this thing where like the, the younger generations tend to use the newer things, and that's less actually about technology. That's more about the network. So kids don't want to be on the same social network as their parents. Yeah. So kids flock to platforms that their teachers and parents aren't on. Yeah. They use them, they, then everyone else finds out about them because the kids are using them. It's what we all talk about, the new thing. And then by the time that everyone else is on them, the kids left. They go to the new one. They go to the new one, yeah. where we aren't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we need to be. Yeah, yeah. It's true, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, so that, that's sort of my role. And then as the, as the years went on, I focused very much more on building the right proposition for the bigger brands. So, um, you know, at, at a certain point, my job became about if a big brand would contact us, I would talk to them about how Verb would help them. I'd write the strategy and work with the team on it, and then the team would carry it out. Mm. And that was that was the role. Do you remember the day that you signed the contract to sell your company? Mm. And how did you feel that day? And what did you do that night? I don't know. I mean, uh, I do remember the day. Uh, I went out for drinks with the people who just bought us. Yeah. Um, because I really liked them. Um, I'd known them for a long time and uh, Luke had been like a mentor for me for you know a year before that um, so we went out for, for beers and drinks that night and we had a lot of fun we were just sort of sharing stories about the past and about building the business and building the agency and um, you know everything about that and then I think the I think the next day when I woke up I had quite a busy day the next day and I was taking the senior management team out for for lunch because I was telling them about their shares that they were all getting but I was really hungover and I had like a real moment I don't I've never told this to anyone I had like a real moment where you're like a little bit hungover you're really happy uh but you haven't slept much and you're just a bit wired and I'm on the tube on my own and I honestly think I cried I was like on the tube being like did that happen last night you know like did I actually do that you know that's the culmination of like nine years or maybe even 15 years of entrepreneurship to get to that point and by the time I arrived in London Bridge, I was so emotional that I had to like stand on the side of the road and calm myself down. But it wasn't like people talk so much these days about, you know, uh, you know, reaching that sort of apex moment of being really upset. I wasn't like I was like, I think we've done a great thing. Like, I don't know if I ever did it for the money, if I'm honest. You know, I don't know if I was never doing you know, a lot of people talk about. Uh, doing it for the money when I got the money I wasn't happy like I wasn't doing it for that I think that I think I'm just really into business mm. and I think that's fine uh, but that morning I was super excited because for me that morning was my family is secure yeah you know I can buy and, and support my family my broader family my parents my my 
my brothers, my cousins, anyone, my, my own future family. Like that was a real moment that whatever I do moving forward, and I am an entrepreneur, I will always be an entrepreneur. I can kind of do it with less risk. Yeah. And that's pretty amazing as a feeling. That's a nice um, So yeah, that morning I was super emotional. I went out for dinner that weekend with um, my fiance and she was like, God, you must be proud of yourself. And I think I was like, for the first time ever, I think I am, which was awesome feeling. Lovely story, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then from then on, because you're an entrepreneur, we're all entrepreneurs, it's the next thing. What's the next big thing? What do you have in your mind at the time to go, right, I've got something now, I've got a load of money set in the bank. I'm still hungry. I'm still young. I still want to see a gap in the market. What was the next thing for you? So, um, and, it, and it overlapped. It definitely overlapped. And it was a big reason as to why uh, I decided to, to finally fully sell Verb as opposed to sell half of it, which yeah. was the original deal. So my brother came to me in lockdown. There was like isolation picnics and we had one with our parents. Yeah. Um, and my dad's super vulnerable. He's just sitting on the other side of the garden. I was like, you're right, dad. <laughs> Um, might as well have been on the phone. Where were you? Um, in my parents' house in Peterson. Okay. So we're like sitting in the garden, um, chatting away. And Will worked at CBRE for uh, seven years in, in care homes and in psychiatric hospitals, like helping to build those businesses. So buying and selling properties, building technologies that help those businesses. And he just spent effectively six, seven years being paid really badly and uh, being in this position where he was like, I don't know if I'm making positive change for the sector, like I want to do something that's good for elderly people as opposed to just help the businesses. We as a family had some pretty bad experiences with our grandparents and care homes or lack of care homes. And we're sitting in this garden, you know, I'm I'm a digital marketing person, so I know how platforms work. Will was telling me that he thinks that there is a way to bring a new standard of quality to care in the country. We're, you know, drinking a lot, chatting a lot, it's an entrepreneurial family, you know, one thing leads to another. He's like, I think we should do a platform. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I'm gonna take some time off after that, I think. Yeah. And he was like, I think we should do a platform together. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it took, honestly, it took all of about two hours, a few more beers, yeah. for us to be at the point where we were like, okay, let's launch what ended up becoming Lottie. Okay. And we, 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 I put a little bit of money in the next day. We had a prototype built in three months. We then prototype of of the website, um, and we then went and met a couple of people. Like I, I sent a message randomly to Tom Bonfield from from Monzo, yeah. being like, "I heard you on this podcast, I, and you talking about how healthcare needs technology to solve it." I was like, "I have something," and he, I think he was meant to do like a flying lesson that day or something, mm-hmm. and it was raining, yeah. and he said, "Just come over to my house." Yeah. Just on that day, he was like, "Come over to my house." And I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got on my bicycle. He lived quite relatively close to me, yeah. actually, in like a like really modest, cool flat, mm-hmm. you know. And I cycled over his house and I told him a vision about like trying to improve elderly care and improve the lives of elderly people through holding care homes to a certain standard, working with the best care home. And he totally bought into the vision. And he decided to invest in us that day. Uh, we launched the platform two weeks later. And the platform is, it's called Lottie. It's to, we work with the best care homes in the country. dot org, And we work with the best care homes in the country. And it's absolutely taken off since we launched yeah. it. So we've been placing hundreds of people into care homes. What a great idea. It's wild. Um, and like, like I say, like I've run a business for 10 years. I've run multiple businesses, mm. um, which, you know, was a 
100 people is a good sized business, you know. Uh, I've always felt relatively in control of that, yeah. maybe not the COVID weeks, yeah. but um, whereas Lottie, like four months, five months, it's been live now. In the last three months, we're up from two of us to 22 of us. Yeah. We've got an office in London, we've got countless hires coming up. You know, the business is both, you know, good turnover business, making good profit, mm. and you know, we've, the offers that we're getting in terms of validation and funding terms are wild mm. and we're both sort of sitting there a lot of the time going we found something that the world needs yeah and that's a big problem and that's a feeling yeah. you know like that's a real that's feeling the best feeling <laughs> it, it, and you know it it's very different to almost anything i've been involved in before because you get letters from the families being like thank you so much for finding my dad the perfect place to live yeah or like my my mum's just made three new friends that's just playing bridge with later. And you're suddenly like, wow, that's we're doing that. <laughs> this madness in this room yeah. or this entrepreneurial lifestyle that we lead, that's the thing that we're doing. So how would you break it down? Would you break it down as like an Airbnb for elderly people? <laughs> or uh, I suppose so. I mean, people have said Airbnb for care homes or you know, Zoopla for care homes or whatever, you know, it's the same thing. But ultimately, it, it is that. It is, you know, we're providing people with transparency and choice. And then we have a whole team of care experts who are ex-care home people who help people find the perfect place for their medical needs, their um, social needs, you know, if they want to take their dog in or a parrot in or they smoke or they drink, yeah. or all these things like finding the perfect place. Because 44% of people regret their decision. And most people are just scared to death for what a care home is. Yeah. And yet we have hit this sort of, sweet spot where we work for the customer in finding them the perfect place to live and it's just gone crazy it's, it's come with its challenges i mean care homes are locked down a lot of the time at the moment and you know they have a perception that um that they got it wrong in covid whereas actually i believe the government got it wrong in covid mm. that they didn't get any support or, or guidance or ppe or anything really from the government at the time so it's been wild to be honest with you how many care homes are there in the uk uh, roughly Twelve thousand. Wow. Yeah. What's your business model? How do you earn money from this? So, well, we, we haven't worked it out till quite recently. Um, but our business model is we place people in the care homes, and the care home will pay us a fee for placing that person in the care home. And so for us, it's it's been, you know, we were placing people for free for the first few months. Yeah. Um, often placing people into homes that weren't on our platform to get them onto our platform. Mm. Um, and now I think there's well over a thousand care homes on the platform. Um, we've placed hundreds of people into homes. Um, so we've proven our business model and the care homes love working with us because we do a lot of the legwork for them. Yeah. A lot of them are seriously underfunded, understaffed, and we're providing them with the perfect people to meet their, their homes. So it's, it's like a matchmaking service, really. Mm. And we, we, we take a commission from the care homes. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we're... We're three months into the business. The business is 20 people. We've you know, placed 100 people into the business. We start getting um, you know, American VCs, UK VCs yeah. coming to us and saying, we will fund your business yeah. at 30 million valuation. I'm not surprised. <laughs> You're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I ran Verb for 10 years and that's yeah. what that got valued at. Yeah. And now suddenly three months in and they're saying, we think this is a unicorn. I definitely was about to say that. I definitely think this is a unicorn business. Yeah, and, and then what... If you want to think that's true, like there's a hell of a lot of stuff in the world right now that people can make money from, or at least talk about their big association with making money from. Yeah. 
I couldn't be more pleased that I'm doing something that's having a positive effect. Great. Like, I feel I feel light on my feet. Yeah. Is the honest answer. Yeah. You know. You've worked. You've worked hard. You've had 15, 16 years graft, entrepreneur, built businesses, stresses, highs, lows, pressures, and all of a sudden you've hit a unicorn. <laughs> you really have. But it's early to say. It's early. Yeah. Se- it's early stages, but it, I, I think it's going to fly. Absolutely going to fly. Yeah. I mean, I hope it does. I think. I think the the truth the truth is like in the the sort of customer reviews and, and how how both sides of the the network is, are enjoying the product. So. It's very rare to see a situation where our customer are in love with the service. They absolutely love that we go to bat for them and find them the best place. The care homes are ecstatic. And everyone's winning in that situation. And obviously, we're not about making big money at the moment. Mm. We're about providing a great service. Mm. And so, you know, ultimately, we're in this sort of sweet spot where everyone that we work with is enjoying working with us. And now we have like nurses joining and qualified people joining who are just adding to the product, improving it. And it's just amazing for us to sit there. But the, the pace is a fundamentally different thing. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I've run businesses for a long time, but like the best people in the world are knocking on our door every day saying, can I work there? You know, like the CTO of the biggest company in the world. So yeah. I think we'll be like, hi, yeah. I had an experience with my grandma and it was horrible. I love what you're doing. I love the mission. Can I come work for you? I can add value. Yeah. And it's just like, wow. Wow, wow, wow. wow. Chris, I've really enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> Really have. I do appreciate you coming down here and uh, thanks for your honesty. And you're a, a true entrepreneur. Thanks for having me. You're a good man, Chris. Cheers, man. Take care, mate.